Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here to promote public education. And it needs promotion, but it needs defending even more. It needs defending, as we believe, from those who are opposed to it, who in fact do not believe that education should be accessible to all children, regardless of their background. For these reasons, uh, the dogs also believe in separation of church and state. They believe that state aid should not go to religious organisations, and they believe in genuine religious liberty. Uh, we also believe, of course, that children should have opportunities from the day that they are born to the day that they die. Citizens should have the desire to learn, uh, promoted and also paid for by the taxpayer uh, all their life. It is such a very basic, basic, basic human desire and need to be educated and informed in a liberal democracy. So today we are going to give you two major things. First of all, I'm in the process of writing a paper uh, called Religious Liberty, a Fundamental Human Right or Part of a Balancing Act for Discrimination Legislation Mm -hmm. because I want to relate what is happening with the marriage, so-called marriage debate, uh, with what actually is um, a dog's business, which is uh, religious liberty and separation of church and state. And Robert is going to be talking to a lady called Laura who is standing in a by-election in Northcote. We'll be talking to Laura Chip. We are quite happy here on the dogs to be unashamedly political, but that doesn't mean to say that we're telling you to uh, vote for her if you live there. Uh, That's not the job of 3CR. We just uh, believe that her education policy is of great interest. But first of all, Our press release, Religious Liberty, a Fundamental Human Right or Part of a Balancing Act for Discrimination Legislation. I have to warn you, it's a long one. We may not get through the first part of it today, but over the next few weeks, I will be uh, telling you more and more about this subject. Now, the debate over same-sex marriage has prompted a discourse around religious liberty. This issue has taken centre stage for those who object on the basis of religious belief or matters of conscience. The debate about laws which are in conflict with the religious belief of individuals or churches has to date centred around legislative exemptions. 
Carolyn Evans, a former dean of the Melbourne Law School at the University of Melbourne, considers that although there may be sometimes good reasons for giving exemptions on religious grounds, under non-discrimination law, quote, the current balance between protecting religious individuals, sorry, religious institutions but not religious individuals, provides evidence that it is a sensible principle to continue with respect to same-sex marriage. So she thinks the status quo is okay. Evans mentions segregationist churches in the US who discriminate on the basis of race or pacifist Quakers withholding tax for defence spending, but she ignores 2,000 years of persecution and bloodshed, which is ongoing in some parts of the world, and the French, American and Australian Enlightenment solution. And what was that? That was the separation of religion from the state and a Bill of Rights provision, Section 116 of the Australian Constitution. Our founding fathers knew a lot more, I think, than we do. This provision has not been mentioned in any current commentaries on the same-sex marriage debate. And for good reason, because it's been read down and out of the Constitution, but more of that later. In this paper... I suggest that recent developments in discrimination law, both here and internationally, are cold comfort for both institutions and individuals who have strong religious beliefs and are prepared to say, here I stand, I can do no other, on the same-sex marriage issue. Perhaps religious men and women of strong conscience should look again at the Bill of Rights, Religious Liberty Clause in the Australian Constitution, namely Section 116. Now, what does this say? It says the Commonwealth shall not make any law for establishing any religion or for imposing any religious observance or for prohibiting the free exercise of any religion and no religious test shall be required as a qualification for any office or public trust under the Commonwealth. If you look at it, it says the Commonwealth can't have any dealings with religion, nor should it, we believe. This section, which until 1981 some citizens considered a religious liberty or Bill of Rights type clause, was based on the First Amendment and Article 6.3 of the Constitutions of the United States. Our founding fathers understood that it prohibited both state interference in religion on the one hand and state aid to both religion and religious institutions. And that was back in 1898 when they got it in. However, Australian churches and religious men and women of Christian conscience and others will need to look back in shame to the dog's case of 1981. In order to take the Queen's shilling for their religious schools, the defendants, churchmen and women, argued for 26 days in the High Court of Australia that their schools were not religious institutions, were no more religious than public schools, and the words any religion meant a particular state religion. With the exception of Justice Lionel Murphy, the six judges of the High Court agreed with them. They ignored the intention of the Founding Fathers of 1898, naming the separation of religion from the state idea. They turned the religious liberty clause of the Australian Constitution on its head. How? According to the majority judgments, the words any religion really means a state religion or a state church. However, if this meaning is given to any religion and transferred to the remaining clauses, listen to what Section 116 says. 
the Commonwealth shall not make any law for establishing a state religion or church. It can make a law for establishing any religion or church or for imposing any religious observance of a state religion in church, but it can impose any religious observance, and long as it's not a state religion or church, or for prohibiting the free exercise of a state religion or church, but it can prohibit the free exercise of any religion so, it, so long as it's not a state religion or church. And no religious test of a state religion or church shall be a qualification for any office or public trust under the Commonwealth. So you can see how on this interpretation, Section 116 is no longer a prohibition on the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth can make any law it wishes concerning religion, so long as it does not make it for a state religion or church. In 1981, the plaintiffs believed that the Bill of Rights Protection, a clause they believed was a protective shield, had been turned into a sword. 36 years later, Australian religious schools for the wealthy are overflowing with taxpayer largesse, while impoverished public schools go begging. Then, and, and even uh, we found out in the last week that uh, the demountables that they are housed in can just be uh, demolished by a car, which was just an absolute tragedy. That's what our governments think about the children in our public schools. Uh, Australian citizens were informed of sex abuse scandals in the last few years in these schools, which were perpetuated in some of them. And Australian churches and many of their employees have long since lost the moral, let alone the liberty of conscience initiative in Australian society. So the dogs believe they've got problems in this marriage debate situation. But some citizens in Australia, and some of them in the dogs, may still believe that liberty of and from religion is a basic human right that should not be part of a balancing act in discrimination legislation, administered by tribunals that use an inquisitorial method, not the advocacy method of our courts. Although religious groups are currently lobbying for religious exemptions in any same-sex marriage legislation, and aren't they lobbying, and these may initially have a chilling effect when they're put in. They're no substitution for what was intended as a strong Bill of Rights section of the Constitution if it had not been read down and out by black letter law judges in 1981. Those who believe in separation of religion from the state might like to consider developments in the High Court itself and academic commentaries on the dog's case since 1981 because things have changed. Scholars who accept the High Court decision in the dog's case are a minority these days. Some, including Carolyn Evans, are prepared to question it, while others strongly advocate separation of religion and the state as the only solution to liberty of and from religion. But first, are exemptions from discrimination legislation a guarantee of religious liberty? The short answer is no, with a question if religious organisations are paid by the state to run public services like education, health and employment agencies, why should they be exempt? Why should parents and children with the wrong beliefs or sexual orientation be turned away from schools and hospitals that are 80 to 90% publicly funded? These are basic issues of accountability and democratic procedure. Should he who pays the piper call the tune? 
Carolyn Evans claims that under current discrimination legislation, individuals like cake makers may not be protected, but religious institutions are. But are they? Commentators discuss the issue as a balancing act between liberty and equality, both considered fundamental human rights deserving of legislative protection in a democratic society. What happens when in cases, individual cases, these basic liberties are in conflict? In the last decade, there's been a landmark case, the Cobor case, which tested the extent to which it is lawful for religious groups to discriminate through carve-outs or exemptions to anti-discrimination legislation. Cobol Community Health Services successfully sued the Christian Youth Camp CYC for unlawful discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. CYC, that's the Christian Youth Camps, ran Phillip Island Adventure Resort, a commercial operation established by the Christian Brethren Trust, not the exclusive brethren, the open brethren. The Christian Brethren are opposed to homosexual activity as being against biblical teaching. Cobol wished to hire a camp facility from the appellants for the use of same-sex attracted young people and CYC, through its camp manager, a Mr Rowe, refused. The majority... Oh, this first of all went to VCAT and CYC lost there, so they appealed to the Supreme Appeal Court of Victoria. No, it wasn't government-funded as far as I know. So you've here got a, um, a private religious institution that owns um, a particular camp but which, is, which offers it to the public for use. And the majority judges, Maxwell P and Neve J.A., with Redlick J.A. dissenting, held that the, the Christian youth camps was unable to bring its conduct within the religious exemptions of the 1995 Equal Opportunity Act of Victoria. The majority judges found that CYC was not a body established for religious purposes and therefore could not avail itself of the exemption under Section 75 of the Equal Opportunity Act of 1995. Now, the Christian youth uh, camps existed for fundamentally commercial purposes, they found. Their purpose was to make campsite accommodation available to the public. And the requirement that the camp be conducted in accordance with Christian beliefs and principles did not transform this secular purpose into a religious one. The court noted that although the provision of services may have a religious motivation, Unless the activity itself is intrinsically religious, whatever that means, it, quote, it is difficult to see how questions of doctrinal conformity or offence to religious sensitivities can meaningfully arise. Given the number of religious organisations providing various social services on a commercial basis, this approach may have far-reaching consequences. For example... In 2017, the Catholic Church in Victoria alone is involved in 492 schools at least, 
and at least 11 hospitals, I think it's more, and numerous aged care facilities and child welfare institutions. And we could go on and on with the different religious groups that have had government services contracted out to them in the last uh, 30 years. Maxwell P. and Neve J.A., Redwick J.A. dissenting, held the corporations, listen to this one, the Maxwell P. and Neve J.A., Redwick J.A. dissenting, held that corporations could not hold beliefs. Which, if you think about it, makes sense. But there is a legal fiction that corporations are persons. But they pulled that that away and they said no corporations can't have beliefs and therefore they could not as a corporation CYC could not rely on the exemption under section 77 of the act that's the 1995 act this case started in 2007 and ended in, ended in 2014 even if this was not the case, and corporations could hold beliefs. The refusal was also not necessary to comply with genuine religious beliefs or principles it was held. Now, in law, churches or religious institutions may be voluntary organisations, not corporations, but their educational health and other enterprises run by religious groups are administered usually by corporations or trusts. If Maxwell P is correct and corporations cannot hold beliefs, where does this lead for religious exemptions for discrimination legislation? It should be noted that all judges focused on the concept of dignity, identity, status and self-worth when discussing the young people discriminated against. This approach mirrors the approach taken in Canada and South Africa. And in this case, theirs was the more fundamental human right. Religious liberty, freedom of and from religion, freedom of conscience has been downgraded in this balancing act by the, Fed, by the court in Victoria. And above all, it should be noted that in this COBOL case all three judges, even Redlick, servants of the state felt free to determine what under section 75.2 constituted the doctrine and injury to the religious sensitivities of the Christian brethren when they decided that the exemption under Section 75.2 of the Equal Opportunity Act did not apply. So here you actually have judges deciding on what was doctrine, what was doctrinal, you know, what, what a religion really believed. Extraordinary. Since the COBOL case, there have been changes to the religious exemptions in the Equal Opportunity Act of 1995, and this occurred in 2010. And we could argue that these adopted the broader definitions of a religious body, which was found in the Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities Act of 2006 in Victoria. Uh, they took the Section 38.5b. So that the definition now reads that a religious entity is an entity that establishes or directs, controls or administers an educational or other charitable entity that is intended to be and is conducted in accordance with religious doctrines, beliefs or principles. Now, religious entities may take some comfort from this broader definition, but individuals appear to have no protection at all. 
and the actual definition of religious doctrines, beliefs or principles, which for many citizens are private matters of conscience, which are central to their dignity, identity, status and self-worth, will be defined objectively rather, subjecti- rather than subjectively by civil magistrates. So much for separation of religion from the state. So much for the late 18th century Enlightenment solution hammered out after centuries of religious wars, bloodshed and persecution. Yet the concept of separation of religion and the state, whatever the High Court may have said in 1981, was firmly embedded in the Australian Constitution by the two men, Henry Bournes Higgins and Andrew Inglis Clark, who ensured its inclusion in the first place. Separation of religion from the state is a very powerful idea. It's an idea that has a habit of resurrecting itself in every generation. If properly interpreted, the idea of separation of religion from the state could, and if you sit and think about it, it should solve the problems of both parties, the religious groups and the LGBTI groups, in the gay marriage debate. What else is a marriage in a civil sense but a registered relationship? And we already have registered relationships in Victoria uh, which are quite powerful but uh, it's not the case around Australia. And that is a civil union. Now a lot of water's gone under the Australian social and ideological bridges since the dogs case in 1981 when this very powerful idea, which was our inheritance of after centuries of religious wars and bloodshed, this very powerful idea was turned on its head. So, what has been going on since 1981? There's been a lot of questioning of what the High Court did in, 19, in, that, in that year in the dog's case. But that's for the next press release, and I'll tell you about it next week. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. Look, as we promised earlier in the program, we have a guest in the studio, um, Laura Chip, who's actually a politician or, or wants to be a politician, um, and she's standing in the upcoming Northcote by-election. Now here at 3CR, of course, we don't endorse any, any particular political party because we're a community radio station, we're inclusive of all. However, if we do get a politician, we like to ask some questions. I've been inv- inviting Simon Birmingham on the program now for a number of years. <laughs> he won't turn up, but Laura's very kindly turned up. And I thought we'd discuss the two things that, that the dogs really want to talk about. First is separation of religion and the state. And the second one, of course, is education policy, the defence of government schools. 
in Australia, in, in Victoria, and of course in Northcote. Um, Laura, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your political party. It's called Reason Australia. Yes, so firstly, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, I'm very uh, grateful for your time. Uh, this is a really interesting time for this new political party. So a lot of listeners out there might um, recall the Sex Party, which has been in operation for about seven years or so. Oh, you know, we've been doing Fiona Patton's press releases yes. on the show for some time. She's a very staunch separationist and has very good, as far as we're concerned, ideas on education funding. She has, indeed. So... The Sex Party, about four months or so ago, uh, we chose that we'd grown out of the name and we wanted to start a whole uh, new political movement which actually encompassed a lot of other different minor parties into a single movement. And um, without the bells and whistles, um, the best name we came up with was Reason because overwhelmingly we heard people saying, well, why isn't there reason in politics? <laughs> and um, that's what we want to bring in. So I'm very lucky that I'm the first candidate to run for the Reason Party um, for the whole of Australia in this by-election. Okay, so it's an Australia-wide movement and yes. and it's kicking off. So you've gone from sex to reason. Um, well, I mean, is reason the opposite of ideology? Is it? I mean, is it, I mean, often you, you hear talk, certainly in the current environment, about you know the ideology of, of various political parties. Is it the opposite of ideology? Does reason have an ideology, or is that just not the right thing to say? Very interesting question. Uh, reason. Uh it's hard because if you think about reason, what is reasonable for one person is very, very markedly different to the rest. Mm, uh, so definitely. our party's main fibre and bones is based on evidence and mm. actual evidence. And I know that some people would roll their eyes when they hear a politician or a political candidate talk about evidence-based policy, but um, we do walk the walk. And as you can see with Fiona Patton being in the state upper house for the last three years, uh, all of her policies have been based on evidence um, and uh, supported by coroners, such as the voluntary sister dying and um, medical safe injecting room in Richmond. Yeah, which has just opened recently. So um, just, this is just to clarify for our listeners. Um, is ex-Senator Roberts I mean, and his empirical evidence fascination going to be invited into the Reason Party? Because uh, no. he, he, he jumps up and down a bit in empirical evidence for climate change no. and there isn't any and blah, 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 blah. That's I mean, right. So when we talk about evidence-based. Um, I'm a criminal lawyer, so yeah. I, I believe in evidence at its purest form. I've um, been a lawyer for kids for um, my whole career, and now I'm actually about to go and uh, work with Victoria Police. So uh, for me, evidence is, is evidence. It's not um, if you can find one obscure academic journal article somewhere in the world that means something, that that could be the basis of a whole um, policy. So the good thing what Reason's actually done is invite a lot of um, members of the community who previously weren't that comfortable with joining the sex party uh, and they are subject matter experts in their fields and they're actually assisting us to uh, write our policies, put the bones of the party in there with the foundations that we do have. Um, so for me, for example, youth justice is the area that I've been working in and one of the areas I'm most passionate in. So we want actually people who are working in the sectors and in the industry and have the experience to write our policies and then um, obviously then ensure it's evidence-based appropriately. Mm. So what you're saying is that if a politician does something, decides to spend some money or stop something happening or pass some law, um, then you're saying that if, if, if you were that politician, you would say, I'm doing this for these reasons. Um, and, and the reasons won't, won't, won't specifically be political ones, but they will be 
reasons um, outside the political sphere. Is, is, is that what you're saying? Uh, it's funny because the word reason, it does come up and every time people now say, oh, well, that's, that's reasonable. Like, uh, yeah. any conversation you get stuck in now, but it's, um, you kind of find yourself using reason more than sex. So I think that we should maybe revert back to, you know, putting sex in as a more commonly used word in the vocabulary rather than reason. But, okay. um, both are equally as good, but in different ways. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to tie you up with that. I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps, perhaps Perhaps after the by-election we can invite you back and, 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 and talk more about a broader pro- policy platform. But um, I know your time's valuable and I know our listeners are, are chafing at the bit to find out about, well, there's a new political party. What is, um, well, firstly, what is your policy on separation of religion from the state? Because that's actually a, a big thing that we discuss because you think that's an esoteric idea. But it actually, um, the fact that we don't have it here in Australia means that billions of dollars get spent in private educational institutions. Um, because we don't have this separation idea. So perhaps um, you can tell us about what the Reason Party, the Reason Party, I won't use the word reasonable, <laughs> yeah. the Reason Party, um, what your policy platform is on separation of religion from the state. Yes, so our platform is extremely clear on religion. Uh, Reason is a secular party. Uh, we want to make it extremely clear that we're an inclusive party, but we don't believe that there is a direct place for religion to either be in politics or in schools alike. Um, and that's one of our very clear platforms. We obviously embrace freedom of religion, but in schools, um, we strongly believe in the public system, but it needs to teach our children critical thinking based on science, uh, literacy and ethical values and not um, on the foundation of religion as its core uh, purpose of that school. Mm. Um, would, would the Reason Party be interested um, in people who, who, who did have a religious affiliation joining the party? Because many religious people, certainly many of our listeners, are deeply religious but also are deeply secularist. Uh, they're, they're not, in fact, you know, this, this whole anti-religion thing. I'm just wondering what the Reason Party's perspective on this is. Yes, so... Uh, I can talk from my own personal experience and also talking to members. So I do um, have my personal beliefs and my personal views and my concept of what religion is and my um, values are very important to me. So regardless of what religion or faith you come from, the foundation of reason is what can you actually do and bring back to your community. And the concept, if we take it all the way back, you know, tens of thousands of years, at the end of the day, what makes you a good Christian or what makes you a good uh, Buddhist, what makes you a good um, practising Muslim, all of it comes back to being a good uh, person, giving back to your community and actually being able to listen to other people's opinions respectfully. So within reason, we're definitely not anti-religion. We are very much the opposite in a way where we value um, all community members and we legitimately mean that. Um, And we have to have that tolerance and respect and honesty with all of our members internally, but Mm. also externally. So, you know, the yes, no vote, obviously very topical at the moment. We've got very strong views with our political party that yes needs to be the vote. Um, But we also need to understand and respect that, you know, some people might want to vote no for their reason and that is Mm. their right. Um, so we may not agree with them, but those conversations in politics are becoming very nasty and, and personal and targeted attacks at reason we don't engage mm. in that negative politicking. I mean, just, just, just on that one question, I'd just like to have a little aside here. Do you think the question of same-sex marriage is a political question? I think it, 
no, I think I think it mm. should be out of politics. Mm. I think it should be a basic human right. Yeah, so the, so the fact that we're asking everyone their opinion in a survey is something that reason in, in itself doesn't support as a I process. Think it's, uh, not only do I think it's horrifying the way that the uh, federal government has gone about it, I think in 10 years um, we're going to look back on this chapter of our history and, and look at the damage that it's caused to our uh, LGBT community and the children of those communities and I, I, I hang my head in shame that it's come to this and I, and I, I don't think it should have had, even had to go mm. to this level. Yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll come back from that, from, from that little aside and, and, and get back to perhaps what our, our, our listeners are interested in probably more directly. Um, I think it's, you, you've been quite clear about explaining what your political party's ideas are about separation of religion and state. Um, how do you, yeah, no, I'm going to ask you a direct question. I've been looking at your education policy and perhaps it'd be fair if I get you to articulate what it is that your education policy states directly because I'm reading from, from your press release and you're saying that Reason Party supports need-based funding for schools. Yes. Um, and that the Gonski, the, the whole process of Gonski 2.0, 1.0, yeah. whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, um, um, further entrenches the funding of the whole religious school system. Mm. Um, just for our listeners, for those who don't know, Australia is almost unique in the world um, in taxpayers yes. fund a dollar for dollar um, religious um, educational institutions um, to the same level as they do um, government or, or, or the state school system. And, of course, there's also a unique thing in Australia where about 30% of the population of Australia are educated within the Catholic school system. Yes. Just one religion dominates the sort of private school thing. Again, this is most unusual around the world. It's, it's unique to Australia. And so, therefore, billions and billions of taxpayers, my money, your money, goes to fund the education of students within the Catholic school system. Now, you're saying this needs to be challenged once and for all. Um, and you're saying the way of doing this is to support the state school system. Does reason support... Government taxpayers' funding, you know, secular you know, funding raised through secular taxes, not through tithes, yes. going to supporting any religious education systems. So reason policy for education is based on an as-needs as basis. So to answer the question, that could include a Catholic school or it could include another private school, but it has to be assessed on the funding and a particular need of those students within that organisation, um, sorry, within that school and what I guess we don't want to do is draw a brush over uh, all schools of a particular category and say no because it, it, I have been out to schools and I've worked out in uh, regional Victoria and there might be a Catholic school um, which does require funding, um, a small primary school um, I'm thinking about in the, up in the um, Woomera Valley uh, mm. region where I worked with a lot of clients um, and kids out in those schools. So we don't have a strict policy saying, no, if you're a religious school, you don't get funding. What we want to do is make sure that the funding goes where it's actually needed and it needs to be assessed on a needs-by-needs basis. Okay. Um, well, because we we've come from where you were describing the concept of separation of religion and the state, um, and I think the policy is very clear. I can see some tensions between what you said in, in that field and, and what you just said about, or oh, you, you gave an example um, of a poor Catholic school. I'm here at the Dogs. I mean, I personally, as many, many of the listeners know, work in about 100 different schools yeah. in all, from all sectors. And there's really good teachers in Catholic schools, and there's some beautiful kids in Catholic schools, mm. and in independent schools, and in brethren schools, and in Scientology schools. Mm. And, in, and Islamic schools um, 
this is this, this is this is not a question of questioning the character of, uh, of, not, of, of, no. of any of these people. Um, however, in, in many of these cases, the fact that the Catholic school is government funded, in, often in regional areas, means that there isn't perceived by the need perceived need to open a state school in the area. Um, and so, therefore, someone who isn't Catholic who wants to send their child to a school in a regional area yes. has no choice mm. because there is a government-funded I mean, Catholic school that, that the, basically the government says, we'll send your child there. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have any money, I'm sure the, the religious school system, no matter what it would be, would allow you to go because, and this is, to me, the fundamental question. From, from a religious perspective, it's been said again and again that religion is an act of charity. Um, from the dog's perspective, um, sorry, not, uh, education is an act of charity. From the dog's perspective, it's not. It's actually a fundamental human right. Um, and in fact, it's unreasonable. In fact, it's bloody stupid not to educate the largest number of people to, 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 to the greatest effect. I couldn't agree with you more. So uh, the Convention of the Rights of the Child, every child has the right to an education, period. Mm. That, is, yeah. that is what it is. Um, and what we advocate is that education is an investment for the nation and it's government's obligation to be able to do that appropriately. Mm. And I completely hear your point mm. and hear your concerns. I've had um, many friends working um, in the uh, teaching sector for a very long time who sadly don't want to actually send their own students to their local public schools because they think that the uh, Catholic counterpart school um, could provide a higher or better education despite their leanings. So mm-hmm. when, when you're mm. talking about that, I do, I do completely agree with mm. you. Um, but in saying that, what are we doing? We need to actually have a look at the system, how it's gotten to the stage where we've gotten to. Mm. Um, we've gone obviously well too far and we need to actually go back, in my view, to the Gonski report, of course, Every reports have their flaws, yeah. um, but there's some things in there and f- fundamental things that we haven't actually done, which mm. we actually need to go back and mm. have a look at the holistic response to education mm. in Australia and and Victoria. Yeah, I mean, this is probably not fair, but you do realise that the original Gonski report, when it was drawn out in terms of terms of reference, taking money away from the private school system was considered verboten yes. by Julia Gillard. So that was a question that wasn't allowed to be asked and answered by Gonski. Um, or his panel, even though many of the people on the panel said, actually, the way to solve the problem and efficiently and effectively and accountably use money is to obviously only give it to the state school system. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we would suggest that going back, there, there was a time before I was born um, when private schools were not funded by the government. Mm. It, it was considered to be a stupid thing to do. In mm. fact, there are countries in the world where it is illegal um, to charge money for education. Um, it's considered against the law and unconscionable. Yes. for a country to, 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 to ask parents to, to, to pay money to educate their children because that is, in fact, the responsibility of the entire country. Mm. Uh, Finland is, is, is one of those countries mm. and we are kind of the opposite end of the spectrum in, yeah. in, that, in that regard. Um, well, I, I can see what you're saying. I suppose I can't argue the point with you here on, on, on the radio and solve the problem. Um, in terms of the major parties, um, what can you offer the people of Northcote? I'm going to ask you as a politician because I think it's a reasonable thing. Uh, what can you offer the people of Northcote in terms of the people in the schools? I know you've just spent some time uh, this last week in, in schools um, yes. a, a, around Northcote. So um, 
again, one of our main policies is putting funding where it's needed and not where the votes are. And sounds controversial, but we've written, on it, written it on every one of our um, policies, on all of our documents, because the bottom line is the way... When I became a candidate for Northcote, the first thing I did was jump in a car and look around um, all of the, especially primary schools, um, in the electorate um, on a Sunday, <laughs> creeping around. Um, and for good and not for evil. For not, not for <laughs> evil, for the greater benefit. But out of that, I, I wanted to see and then see it in person, but then actually then go and do the further research and look at the previous history of state and federal funding for all of those schools or, or unfortunately in a lot of the primary schools that I visited, a, a lack of complete state funding at all. Some of these schools, Bell Primary, oh. West Garth Primary, haven't actually received state funding in, in some of them for decades and the pillar of their whole um, education focus, especially with um, anything, God forbid you have anything creative mm. like arts or music or even, mm. you know, physical education, these kids can't even meet um, in a place at one time because there's no facilities to be yeah. able to do this. We're in 2017 and unfortunately these schools have fallen into pockets where they might be perceived as easy votes or, or money that doesn't need to be invested in there. So mm. as a candidate, what I offer is looking on a needs by needs basis, mm. meeting with the school principals, reading through their assessments, but then doing my homework and actually seeing where has the actual distribution of money gone mm. and where, when and what time has the money gone because you will obviously see, unfortunately, that there are pockets of time where you see funding boost in hospitals oh, yes. and schools around certain uh, periods, which could be election periods, which is, I think, um, quite coincidental. But what we want to do is actually look at a broader picture, and this is why we want this whole movement to be Australia-wide, and we invite people to join us, because it needs to be on needs basis, not where the votes are. What, what do you think of Simon Birmingham's idea of taking... Um the future school funding decisions out of the hands of politicians. That's what he's attempting to do with Gonski 2.0. To set up, a, um, um, Jean has been doing a, f- a few articles on, 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 on the show earlier today, um, setting up a commission that decides where the money should go. An independent commission? An independent commission. Yeah, I, I would personally support an independent commission because mm. it doesn't have to be beholden to who's in power at the time and it also means that they can actually do the assessment on mm. need and not on uh, pockets of um, areas that they perceive to be the need um, mm. for that purpose of the election. Yeah. It, it, it's a lovely idea and it's a good idea. In fact, he's done that, except in this particular commission, uh, the commissioners themselves um, uh, well, are... Yeah. Uh, um, uh, paid advocates for the private school system. Um, in fact, more than more than 60% of, you know, in, in terms of voting rights on that commission, mm. are actually um, private school advocates. Um, this is not a secret. This is this is this is in their job titles. Yes. Um, and so these things, it's hard to get the politics out of it, certainly when you mix politics and religion. Um, Bell Street Primary. I, I know you have a particular interest in, in Bell Street Primary. It's worth noting that Bell Street Primary. We often have here a sort of gold standard. It takes about $12,000 a year to educate a kid to a gold standard um, in a primary school in Australia. Yes. Costs more if they're poorer or they come from disadvantage or they come from regional. Or they come from, and obviously, there's add-ons, and this is just a very rough number, about 12000 mm. Bell Street, which, by the way, has more than 50% of its students coming from the highest socioeconomic group, so there's some pretty wealthy parents sending their kids to Bell Street Primary, and that's one of the functional dem- demographics of the, of the Northcote area, I'm sure you know. 
Um, they're surviving on eight and a half thousand. Yes. So, because the parents perceive wealthy, and you don't necessarily have uh, the socioeconomic problems, and because I happen to know there's a great deal of community engagement, and I'm sure you can you can you can back that up, because uh, I because I know you're involved in the community, and and all, all power to you for that. Um, yeah, they're just cleaning money off the top. I mean, it's it's interesting that in a place like even Northgate, yeah, their due is not being got. By the way, their results are fine. Um, if, if if you look at their external assessed results, which is no way to judge a school, but if you do, mm. even on that measure, it's a happy school where the kids are getting a good education. That is true, but with meeting the kids and attending Bell Primary on a number of occasions, um, I've been absolutely horrified to see that um, if there's a... Uh, speech pathologist that comes in or a teacher's aide to help um, a young person, especially with NDIS. They actually have to clear a whole classroom uh, for that child to be able to have that one-on-one learning. Uh, And also Bell uh, Primary is another example of um, in wintertime or or pretty much being Melbourne any time of year, Mm. there's not one area they can be undercover uh, together at one time, which then stops not only physical education, which is crucial for, obviously, young children, but it also stops um, the sense of community where the community can actually also use that hall for their own community. Mm. So Reason is very pragmatic in the approach that we not only want to encourage funding within uh, public schools, but we also want to be able to utilise those spaces for the communities themselves um, and possibly even they make money out yeah. of it. So they could use that as a hiring space, as a cost generation yeah. to come back. Controversial, but yeah, no, it, it, is, it, it is. creates yeah. a space for the community to be able to use with or without charge. That's obviously a completely different um, matter, but that community doesn't actually have any um, full facility for them to be able to play oh, um, um, any sport, so they have to A go school elsewhere. is a taxpayer-funded resource for the community. That's what it... Up, up until in Australia, up until the 70s, that's just what well, that's it was. What Meant, meant but, to be. <laughs> well, no, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, and then things changed when, when the idea you have schools for the future and obviously the funding of private schools. So, you know, you have government-funded private schools who have ovals you can't use because they're private property, mm. such like and so forth. Yes. Um, no, I mean, you, you can't say that uh, the Bell Street Primary School is not a public asset for the community. And you... If you put money into the school, you're putting money directly into the community. It's, it's, it's a double win if you're talking about being reasonable. That's right. Um, it's, it, it's a, it's an economic no-brainer. Mm. Um, look, look, it's, it's been very interesting to talk to you. I'd just like to finish off on one probably horrible question for you. It's, it starts out nice, but it might get nasty. Um, when it comes to education and in, in state schools, um, you mentioned off here, and I'd like you just to tell, tell the listeners um, what your attitude would be, for instance, to the school chaplaincy program, what, what it is to, to Christian um, teaching or Christian outreach in state schools through government-funded programs like, like the school chaplaincy program. Yes, so Reason has a very clear policy on this, and that is for government funding to end um, the National School Chaplain Program. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we want that money to be reinvested back into secular pastoral support offices. So the way we break that down and and the advice and and research that we've done is that it would be more effective and more inclusive for students to be able to access a secular uh, support officer um, at their school. And secondly... Uh, to actually remove the subject of religious education within schools and actually rename it and rework the whole curriculum to be 
um, it's a bit of a long-winded one, but yeah. it, it, it has to be more than just religion. It has to be what we say, uh, the world's major religions and humanism and rationalism uh, as a subject. So it is a mouthful and it, it, it's not That sounds like sexy. Meredith Doig's got involved in that. Yes, well, um, <laughs> you, you may, your listeners may know that uh, the lovely Meredith is yeah. our uh, General Secretary of Reason yes, Australia. Yes, no, you're very and familiar with Meredith yes, and, and, and supportive as well. Yes, and her work is fantastic. So she um, has not only worked on that, she's done a lot of consultations to be able to um, get the right balance between freedom of religion, getting children to actually be able to feel part of their community if they Mm. do identify as that. But we very much want a secular um, support officer rather than just simply um, a Christian background. Yeah. Well, which which is someone hard. With, someone, but someone, someone with appropriate qualifications would also be very useful. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, qualified and yeah. secular yeah. is what we yeah. ask for, and I think that's quite reasonable. Oh, um, well, I think it's, I think it's just, um, yeah, obviously reasonable. Um, <laughs> yes, your, your, your party's name is going to keep coming up. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. It just comes out in conversation. I don't even mean to. Yes. Um, well, what if I were to tell you that, you know, in, in state schools, in government-funded schools... Um, you know, obviously you don't want that to happen. Whatever it's to, in, in, in government-funded schools, uh, children were being educated in a school and told that um, obviously they won't be going to university because they're a girl and girls don't get tertiary education. And that was in a government-funded school. Um, what if I were to tell you, for instance, that, um, that boys and girls were, were, were being taught about um, uh, the theory of natural selection in science class, but, but, but then also told that in a government-funded school that is just what some people believe, but it does not actually conform to what we collectively, religiously believe. Because the government funding of private schools means that these situations happen on a daily basis. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that children are being taught um, Catholic math or, or, or Islamic English. I mean, the, the curriculum is often being taught in, in, in private mm. schools effectively and efficiently. And I know good teachers in private schools, they do this. However, there is an overlay, a government-funded overlay, mm. where the religious values, what you're talking about, you know, we don't want chaplains, we don't want people having religious indoctrinations in government-funded schools. Um, what I'm saying to you is that currently in Australia, private schools are, are government-funded schools. Yes. Catholic schools in particular funding at yes. a very high level, independent schools at a lower level, but that's principally because they cater to very much higher socioeconomic um, um, cliques within Australia and, and therefore don't require as much. But they still get it. So, for instance, MLC gets $6 million a year from the government for no apparent reason. Um, but that's a separate question. But the question I'm asking you is that governments are funding religious teachings mm. in schools in Australia. And I wanted to know what, what your perspective on that would be. Would it be to solve the problem by saying, you can do what you like as religious people, but you won't be doing that with taxpayers' money? Interesting question. Um, and what we would say with reason is it's really 
complex and it's not an easy solution where I can say, yep, I mm. agree with you, let's implement that. Because mm. oh, Many countries around the world do this as standard. They, they see this tension and they go, in America, for instance, it's, they just go, no, we're not going to do that. That's right. Because we want religious liberty. Yes. So therefore people of, of religious faith won't take government money because that will have impositions. That's right. So it, it's a very complex issue and I think for us to be able to get the most out of our children, um, I agree with you. The funding is a critical aspect of where um, and I guess it sits a bit uncomfortably with me um, I think what we could do is with the current curriculum that has to be taught that there could be further safeguards and things that can happen right now that the kids should be taught because this isn't going to happen within a year or within this election cycle. We need to be Mm. able to fix up and get quick wins and actually get children the right secular education within their agencies as much as we can, and that is through probably external advocacy and possibly reviewing of of the curriculum. But I think what you're pointing to is longer-term issues to actually change a systematic issue within Australia and within Victoria, which is going to take a lot more time. But I think the key to that um, would be an actual independent uh, commissioner um, to come in to not only review where the funding goes, but also independent um, members of of a, a like-minded, I guess, um, sorry, non-like-minded government group to be able to uh, use evidence base as a um, support for why certain subjects need to be taught, what is actually being taught in the curriculum, because at the moment, uh, like you said, the curriculum is set, but I would call for that curriculum to also be reviewed. Well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, well, curriculum has been a massive national curriculum review and it's it's all set down on paper. That doesn't actually affect what happens when an exclusive brilliant run a government government rendered school. I mean, you can change the words on that document as much as you like. They quite, you know, in, in all sorts of ways... I mean, I wouldn't like to support them, but if they were running their own school and I wasn't paying for it and they were educating their children to the national curriculum standards and frameworks effectively, I would have no say on what happens in their religious education classes. That's a matter for their collective and individual... It's it's like coming into your lounge room. I I don't want to do that, and I'm sure you're not suggesting that. No. But it's the fact that we're paying for it. Is, is is the big problem yeah. from, from our perspective. And it's a problem that's solved around the world and it's a problem that's, that was solved in Australia up until the early 70s. Um, Don Chip, uh, your father might have been involved in the processes yeah. back when Whitlam he first... Was. Yeah, Yeah, when, when, when Whitlam first introduced um, large-scale funding for, for private schools in 1975, I think it was. 1973. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, sorry to end on a downer, but I would actually... No, no I, 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 th- I think it's a question that perhaps reason might look at in terms of policy. I mean, because you say we can't do anything now because it, it is the way it is. That's, yes. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I welcome... And there's a sadness in that from our perspective. There's a huge sadness, and, and I actually welcome questions like that because they're complex questions where it seems overwhelming, and I don't have the answer for mm. you today. Oh, um, no, no, but what we're wanting to do with this new political party when we're actually starting from scratch, it's a very exciting proposition to actually come into subject matter experts, mm. get both sides, be able to 
I'm not an expert on education, obviously. Yeah. Oh, um, no, no, I, but I, I think you're much more coherent than a lot of politicians we've had. <laughs> but this is an opportunity for reason to actually formulate mm. l- short and long-term solutions. Mm. So my focus with the Northcote by-election would be short-term solutions, quick wins, what can we actually do to be able to help within that community? Mm. Obviously, it makes it a bit easier when you've got a, a lot smaller constituency, but in saying that, this is a much bigger problem mm. nation wide that we need to actually front up and battle and have it cohesive, uh, funded, costed solution base, mm. which is going to take time to mm. develop that policy. And mm. we're not afraid of that, mm. but we need time. I suppose my question is do you, the principles upon which those, 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 those discussions are based. I mean, when you mentioned earlier, and I think you are absolutely right to mention it, um, that the, you know people who cannot in their own minds, in good conscience, send their child to the local state school. And so they send their child to a religious school system because that's what they perceive to be a better alternative. Mm. Now, I suppose my question to you that is, is that a rational, reasonable response to the current situation or is that a tragedy? It's an absolute tragedy. If that's a tragedy, then then that's a question that needs to... And if if that is deeply upsetting, if if that is... It's always the question of my child or the children... And I suppose I'm talking to you as a politician, so mm. we're talking about the children yeah. and what is best for the children of Australia. Sometimes, and you're talking about without fear or favour, there is tension between that um, and my child. Um, and so I, I think on that sort of happy note, to come to an understanding about perhaps where the problems are, and, and, yeah. that, and that's where reason um, takes you to an understanding of the problems. Um, I would actually encourage our listeners to, to go to your website. I, I think it's useful to examine in detail. I think you have answered the questions in a clear and concise way here on the DOGS program, and so I don't actually think you're a politician at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm a candidate, so... Yes, <laughs> um, well... Wait, if I get elected, then I might change. <laughs> oh, no, 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 don't tell people that, because no, it's, 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 lo- it's, it's lovely to have you in the studio and, and actually have this, this quite serious discussion. You can contact um, your, your political party. Is, is it vote reason? One, yes. OneWord.org.au? Or, yeah. or reason.org.au. Uh, yeah. um, but I'd actually like to really... Um, invite listeners to make contact with us um, even if you don't want to join a political party our whole point of this movement is actually getting communities engaged in politics and yeah. I think one of the saddest things, I'm a, a youth lawyer I've, I, that my career has been working with young people and defending them with criminal offences at legal yeah. aid um, and one of the saddest things that I encounter continually is con- complete disenfranchisement with politics, politicians and, and the complete lack of relatability that they have yeah. and what reason does and why I'm so excited to work on this with Fiona Patton we want to actually get kids, especially younger kids, excited about politics again. But we also want to get everyone else who is overall of the politicking back and re-engaged in politics. And the way to do that is to have ask these hard questions, unpack them and actually work out really sensible policies to move forward on it. We might not Mm. agree on everything, Mm. but let's have that discussion and let's actually make that discussion exciting and interesting Mm. and let's make people think about politics in a different way because whatever you do, if you walk down the street, you drive in your car, you you do anything, the law governs you in a way mm. and it touches people in every facet. If they buy a coffee, if they um, get on the train, 
we need people to be more engaged, which in my personal view as well, um, politics should be also um, mandatory in the school curriculum um, to understand and give that real fundamental ability for children to understand what the system is, but also to give them hope that there are ways that their voices can be heard. Because we certainly at the moment, you know, don't, I, I don't even see people um, like me who... Uh, in politics, um, who represent who I am, um, mm. except for our lovely Miss Patton. Um, yeah. And I want to see more people who people can relate to. Yep. Um, well, all I can say here is good luck. Um, good luck. Well, we've just been talking to, Re- uh, to Laura Chip from the Reason Australia Party here on the Dogs Program, 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And that's all we've got time for on the Dogs this week. If you'd like some more information, visit us at our website at www.adogs.info. But from the Dogs, it's bye for now. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead.